He won a World Cup, a European Cup, a Ballon d'Or, three league titles, one FA Cup and scored 249 goals in 758 games. I think it's fair to say that Bobby Charlton was up there with the best of them. Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Spurs are looking, well, less and less Spursy. Manchester United legend Bobby Charlton sadly passes away and Premier League goalkeepers are still the talk of the town because of Neil Dobbs, really. Uh, my name is Roy Shanahan and I'm delighted as always to be joined by David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from thebigkickoff.com. And Dave, Bobby Charlton passed away this week. We never seen him play with our own eyes, but how do you view yeah. Bobby Charlton as a footballer? Yeah, look, we like we usually wax lyrical when you talk about the old guys like Pele and Maradona first, but like without a doubt he's at the top page as well. Um like my dad obviously would have played a bit of ball and most of the time most of the time talks a bit of sense about football. But the one player that used to come up most was, was himself. It was Bobby Charlton. Like you'd always mention the usual suspects, but Bobby Charlton used to come up a hell of a lot, like in very much the style of player that he was in the midfield and I'd be messing out the back and he'd tell me about when he painted, he was, apparently he was the one who painted the, the, the goal on the walls of Old Trafford and he'd hit it first time against the wall and when the ball's rolling back to me, try and hit it first time and one thing to me that I always said, Bob Jarrett, I always said, just try and hit the target. Once you hit the target, you have a chance and he was always about a nice sweet strike and he'd never stop waxing lyrical about him but, you know, it was only at the weekend when somebody mentioned that he got 49 international goals in whatever, how many games there, apologies, uh, Roy, but basically it was a goal every two games. Mm. That's from midfield, you know, that says a lot. That says the type of player he is and we always kind of overhype a lot of people nowadays, but like, that's ridiculous when you think about it in terms of international football. Um, um, But my ultimate memory for me is uh, there was a video that was, it was like a a free with something or whatever, but when there was merchandise galore for Italian 90 and it was a video of, it was like a history of the World Cup from 66 to 86, but he was the narrator of it. And he wouldn't necessarily be commentating on games, he'd be giving his commentary on little bits and pieces of famous games in each World Cup and he'd give you little nuggets of um, information about certain players and what his opinion was. It wasn't just, oh, and here's a goal by such and such, you know, and I watched it a million times and, and it's mother and over and over because of the fact that we were obsessed with the World Cup at the time and, uh, you know, just a nice, calm and voice and every time Kubias came on from Peru, oh, what a player. Always had a sock down. Oh, what a nice goal. And then, and then he just move on to the next thing and just little things like that, you know, but going back to the real thing, which is the football, uh, like I said, any people of that generation, I'm sure your dad would be the same, but anyone around them, he would always come up as, as one of the greats. The only bad thing I'll say, he'd awful hair, God love him, and there's pictures of him when he's 22 or 23, and he looks 53, you know, and I can relate to it now, but um, if you put him in nowadays, that kind of number 10, false 9 kind of player, but uh, seemed to have a great engine and always had a knife for goal from just outside the box. But whatever about the Holy Trinity of him, Law and Best, he seemed to be the glue without a shadow of a doubt and Mr. Dependable. But he had a hell of a lot more than that. He wasn't just a 7 out of 10. He was a consistent 8 or 9 out of 10. And uh, an incredible ambassador for United and no doubt England as well. But, you know, you've seen the, the pride he took when Fergie got them back to the promised land back in the day and the emotion in his face as well. 
So, um, yeah, definitely United true and true and a very sad time for them and obviously for England, but definitely he's at the top table when it comes to like world football legends, no two ways about it. Yeah, um, you, you, you may not have had the hair, you can't have everything. Uh, I thought that was a bit harsh. Yeah. A bit harsh on you, Neil, bringing up the hair. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, with, when you see someone at a club, Neil, who is true and true from when you're a kid, you, you go through the team for umpteen amount of years, but then you go on to the board of directors, then you're an ambassador for the club, you're out, you know, anything that I've heard from Manchester United players was when they hop on a bus and they'd have a bad game that he never mentioned any of the bad stuff. He'd always talk about the good stuff of their game and boost their confidence. And he just seemed to be that type of, of personality who was positive and a gentleman and never really seemed to have a kind of a negative word. Those people in around the club, like obviously he, he's huge, but clubs need those type of people. And, and that's what makes probably big clubs big. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's not enough of them around these days, Roy, because if you look, you know, when you used to talk about a player that played his whole lifetime at one club, it's so rare these days. Um, and most of the time, if you're that good and you're that well-respected and if people want you, you might end up elsewhere. But a one club, one man, uh, a graduate of the academy, he obviously came through the academy, played 700-odd games. Like, this is the type of guy you want to be an ambassador for your club. This is, and, and you know, from a Liverpool supporter on the outside looking in, you could never say a bad word about him. He was always there at the games. He was always pictured whether it was going well or wasn't going well. But there was something very humble about him and there was something very honest about him. There was never any, you know, headlines grabbed. You're an ambassador for the club because you want to show people the way the club means to you and what, you know, you're trying to promote that out to everybody else, not just the people inside your club, but everyone outside it. Um, and there's just a lack of them in the game, I guess, at the moment. But he's the perfect example of someone that you would want your kids coming through the academies to aspire to. He's a World Cup winner. There's not many of them around in the England side that could say they've done that. They've got their hands on the biggest prize. Um, so you imagine like when you're an academy graduate coming through the club and you're looking at a guy like Bobby Charlton walking around and he's, he's interacting with you. And I imagine, you know, we, he would be so humble and so honest with you. You know, a little a tap on the shoulder, or, you know, chin up from him would mean more than a million things from anybody else. So he's the type of guy you'd want to associate with your club. And uh, yeah, he seemed to live his whole life based around Man United, which just shows how much of a great ambassador he was. And Neil, do you feel that he is up there with somebody? We always talk about Maradona and Messi and players like that. Is he someone that you could call world class? I think so, Roy. I was trying to kind of rack my brain about this today when I was writing it out and I was thinking, especially from an English side or a Premier League side, I've never seen um, a more decorated individual with such longevity in a high-profile club and then still be there at at the peak of his game. Um, I I can't think of another guy that's maybe worldwide renowned where he he would be a name that would slip off the tongue. Um, As Dave was saying there, I remember... uh, 101 great goals one of the first videos we ever got yeah. Bobby Charlton had a few in that he was a renowned name like a Maradona like a Pele when you were maybe looking to the European side and thinking who up there would be in the same ilk you're talking maybe like the likes of Platini or Beckenbauer or Cruyff 
But yeah, Bobby Charlton would have been one of them guys that you would think would be in that top bracket. And um, as Dave says, eating off the top table and uh, well deserved, yeah. Uh, I think Pele once said it, he could he could take a shot from Manchester and still score in Rio de Janeiro. So he he was fondly renowned as a as a top player by his peers at that stage. So the amount of goals as Dave said he scored from midfield is just ridiculous. And it's not even the amount of goals. The goals that he scored were ridiculous. For someone who could strike a ball like him, what would he be worth now in this day and age? So, um, yeah, sad for Manchester United, sad for his family. Um, but Bobby Charlton, don't think will ever be forgotten about. Um, that's 100%. Okay, Neil, I'm going to stick with you just on this Um Goalkeepers, <laughs> I know we had a bit of a thing a few weeks ago about goalkeepers, and uh, rightly so, but you're not seeing that in Tornan at the moment, are you? Yeah, it, it's become a little bit of an obsession in the house now, Roy, <laughs> that when you're watching Match of the Day or you're watching the goals, so the young lad obviously is playing uh, the fancy Premier League and he's, he's looking at all the, you know where you can get the little kind of a three-minute clip? Yeah of uh, all the goal scores and he's got it into his head now where we're kind of watching it and obviously I put him onto the kind of oh, I think Alison would have saved that or what do you think of this you know but the goalkeepers at the moment are I'm watching them very very closely but the Arsenal-Chelsea game for anyone that watched it on the weekend Chelsea were 2-0 up and Raya was having a little bit of a mare but again I was kind of saying this in previous in our previous cast that you can feel the English commentators now are really beginning to pick him apart and everything that he does, it seems to be magnified and the camera kept zooming in on him when it was off the play, it was out for a throw or something like that and the, the kind of narrative was, oh, he looks nervous now, he's not comfortable and then like he went and kind of did a cry turn in the box and then sprayed the ball 70 yards. So in one side of me, I marvel at the fact that they are doing what they're doing under the absolute pressure cooker of a situation. They've been asked to play out like a number six. They've been asked to link play. They've been asked to be calm. And some goalkeepers are actually been asked to draw a guy in and then try play out past them. Like that is part of the game plan. But this game summed up what's wrong with the way the keepers are playing at the moment. That Roya's mistake led to goals. And then on the other end, when Chelsea had the game absolutely in the palm of their hands, Sanchez then plays a ball out, I think it was meant to be to Ender Fernandez or one of them, misplays the pass, falls to Declan Rice. And I mean, Arsenal were on their knees at this point. They were never looking like getting into the game. Rice comes up with a big finish over his head. And again, the game is absolutely torn um, on a sixpence. And the next thing you know, Chelsea are two all and they've, they've dropped points. So it is becoming more apparent. Even some of the goals were let in. I was saying the McTominay goal on the weekend it was a lovely strike. I still think the keeper should have saved it. I think the top three keepers... The McTominay the one or the Dallow one? The, oh, sorry. It was, who, who scored the corner? Was Mc, sorry, it was Dallow. The Dallow, goal, yes. Wasn't it? Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. It was the Dallow goal, yeah. I still think the top keepers in the country saved that goal all the time. It's like the keeper went for it with two hands. They normally do that right hand kind of comes up over. Uh, the old way, you used to go with your left and you'd stretch forward, but now they come kind of over on top. And I think they would have saved that. Mm. And, and speaking of Bobby Charlton, by the way, imagine the amount of goals he'd get from midfield with the crappy goalkeeper <laughs> in the Premier League these days. Every shot would be a goal. But, uh, but it is a team, Ryan. I think they're letting in a lot more, like, just easier shots than I think they used to, as in the better standard of goalie when goalies was coming out catching the ball, 
1v1s being aerial dominant and it being good um, at, at clearing your lines rather than playing 50-60 passes to all your centre-halves. The game is definitely ch- excuse me, the game is definitely changed with them at the moment. Dave, goalkeepers have to have good <laughs> they have to have good feet now um, yeah sometimes you feel that that's for some more important than a goalkeeper who can who can save yeah. carry pounce on a on a, on a spilled ball uh, claim crosses yeah. surely the feet have to be after all those and if yeah. you know you have to have them all really think- yeah, you have to have it all, but they're not they're not over they're not everywhere. They're not uh, in abundance everywhere. Not every goalkeeper is like that. And I think the style of football for a lot of managers now it's very copy and paste and they all get together. And there's a lot of pressure on the goalkeeper and the two centre halves to play out and the two centre halves get into the box with them and get the goal kicks. And no disrespect, but they're arguably the three worst footballers in a starting eleven. Mm. And they're being asked to start to play. And you've got teams who have three and four right in the edge of the box ready to go and press. And hence these mistakes are made. I wouldn't really blame the keepers in some instances. I blame the management for kind of going, well, this is the high risk, high reward you're trying to do. Because obviously you're trying to get beyond them. And if you get beyond them, you can kind of maybe outnumber them and get in at, at the back line a little bit better. And I understand that. But if you don't have that personnel, it's up to you to, to rectify that either by getting them in or you're going to have to change your your style of play until that happens. Because if you've got players who aren't good enough to play that way, it, it becomes the manager's fault after a few weeks, in my opinion. So, yes, I understand why, why they want to be want, want to do it, but if they don't have the personnel, they've got to change it quite quickly. Otherwise, that crap that you've seen at the weekend happens again and um, Arsenal get back in the, in, in the, in the door. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a style of play I understand and I it doesn't bother me too much, but at the same time, I think keepers do as they're told and they sometimes try and force passes back and there because my boss wants me to play from out of the back and there's none of this let it go long if the pass isn't there. I'd say it's just that I'm doing what I'm told and if the keeper, if that type of keeper's not there, I'm sorry, I, I would put more emphasis on the manager to change the case of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Roy, just to say as well, there, you see the situation there with Ramsdale and Roy, right? So when they're after, I, we were talking about this a couple of weeks back saying, um, you know, I well, I was saying Arteta has a right to bring in another keeper if he thinks it's going to be his new number one. And the narrative by Sky Sports, Leon Merson and all these lads were saying, he's after undermining Ramsdale and now he's given himself a problem. Where I was kind of initially thinking, well, I don't think he has. I think he's just going to make Ray his number one and then he's going to move on from that. But it is actually becoming a little bit of a circus now. So not only are we looking at the lads trying to play out from the back and be cool, but every little mistake now is over-analyzed yeah. and over-scrutinized. And it's actually diminishing both as goalkeepers. Because even, say, Ray had a, a real bad game this weekend and he got dropped. As soon as Ramsdale then comes in, we don't just forget now that they're under the cosh. We're watching every little mistake that they do. Yeah. So I do actually wonder now whether it was wise in the way well, that Arteta did. Should you let Ramsdale go? Oh, sorry, it wasn't a problem, Neil, when it was a German keeper being dropped for an English keeper. But when 100%. a Spanish keeper comes in to drop out, that's why it's a problem. And that's why these pundits have an issue with it. They didn't give two shits about Leno. But as soon as Ramsdale, who's an England keeper, oh, hold on, well, that's not right. You can't do this. But it was okay two years ago. So 
I think that's the ultimate reason why it's the big issue. It's because people from the outside are making it one because an English keeper is dropped. Well, it's no different than the Harry Maguire situation where they had the stats up about Harry Maguire. He's in the last 15 games, he has a, I don't know, 93% or 95% or 97% win ratio when they have him but they, when they don't have him it's down to 40% or something like that they didn't mm-hmm. say who he was playing against he didn't say he was playing the, in the Carlin Cup or the you know the, the yeah. Europa yeah. League or whatever he wasn't playing because he wasn't playing well enough and that's it and surprise surprise he gets man of the match and uh, in a Manchester United team that were awful in the first half and in the second half, generally everyone played a decent standard. Uh, he didn't stand out, but they were given this to make it uh, known they wanted their player to be playing for Manchester United. So there is that English bias there that you can see in uh, in that Sky Sports sense, I suppose. Trying not to get off the goalkeeper thing, Neil. Jordan Pickford is now starting to look like a good goalkeeper. Well, Jordan Pickford, I think Roy plays, like he's playing in a team that I would say plays to his strength insofar as Sean Dyche as a team set up not to be, you know, taking in a big array of shots. I think if we're talking about playing out, he very rarely takes risks. I think he plays percentage balls with fullbacks when it's safe to do so. And he's absolutely given the green ticket every time he wants to go 60, 70 yards. So there's very little focus on him. But what he does do well is, Jordan Pickford, he, he saves good shots. Um, now, whether people take the piss out of having 20 arms or not, the guy's still a good goalkeeper, you know. Who does um, that? I hate to admit it. <laughs> you should hear the chances. or T-Rex arms and whatnot. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's a narrative that's funny, but it's not true, I'll say, right? But he does make good saves. And I think he's an excellent shot stopper when there's balls in, in the six yard and they're popping around. He does come up with big saves. But I definitely think he's in a very, very suitable system at the moment under Dyche where there's less risk. He, he isn't being asked to come out of his comfort zone and play these passes, maybe a little David De Gea-esque when they pushed him. Then Hag came in and pushed him to make passes he wasn't comfortable with. Um, I think it's a good fit because Everton do block deep. They protect their back line. They protect their goalkeeper. Um, and and I think he looks a hell of a lot more comfortable. And again, if I compare him right to Nick Pope off Newcastle, I think he looks a little odd every now and then when Newcastle tried to allow him play. When he comes outside that 18-yard box, it just doesn't feel like he's comfortable being there. But uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think Pickford is, is keeping the head down. He's working hard. And ironically now, he's further ahead, in my opinion, as England's number one than he ever has been. Yeah, I think so. I think he's just learned his lessons. Not uh, Use sure. your ability to the max and don't try to exceed them because you try to do things that you can't do you're going to make a, an arse of it and and he has done that previously now he's a little bit more experienced as you said he'll go long if he has to go long he'll do simple passes uh, but they're correct passes but he'll still do the simple passes but his shot saving is excellent uh, there's no no going around that he, his shot saving has been he made a save I think at the weekend it was outstanding as well it was going top corner so uh, yep. yeah he's gone up I, I don't know I don't know if it's I think it's a little bit of both I think he's gone up because he's learned his lessons he's not making the silly mistake he did I think exactly, well. exactly he always had a little lapse in concentration and to be honest that's the difference to the very very top keepers and the average ones because they all shot they're all good shot stoppers that's par for the course but it's like if you get rid of the silly little mistakes 
your stock goes right up and he hasn't really done anything like that because obviously with the game at the weekend they showed the the, the flap for a reason all that time and they're they're kind of creeping slowly but surely out of his game and the more they do that yeah I'd, I'd be right behind you but he is young. If you look as well, Roy, remember there was a time where we used to say that, remember Van der Sar came into Man United, he was like 38 or something like that at the time. And people are like, jeez, he's old. But that's, it's, I'm not saying it's prime for a goalkeeper, but when you're 18, 19, 20 and you're breaking into a Premier League side, you've probably got 10 years to go before you're hitting your peak. In my, in your 30s mm-hmm. is a nice, comfortable time for a keeper. You learn the occasion better. You're calmer. Your, your decision-making is based over a number of years. So, you know, they've got plenty of life left them. So maybe Pickford is coming out of that phase where the maturity is beginning to show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 38 might have been a bit of a stretch. It might have been around 33 or 4 or something like that, was it? But I looked old anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, listen, Neil. Or, no, we go to Dave because the, Dave, yeah. Tottenham Hotspur won 2-0 tonight. They're top yeah. of the Premier League. What has Ange done to change them from being sporsy to not being sporsy. Yeah, like he's he's definitely probably top of the charts in terms of managers for the right sound bites. Like, you know, when, when he's come in he's been a breath of fetch air and it obviously seems to be spreading out around the team. They're very much a high energy side, very much press a hell of a lot more than we used to that they were obviously incredibly negative and very Italian based under Conte. But this isn't a, this isn't a dig of Harry Kane, absolutely not. But I think a lot of the focus would have been on him a lot. And everything would have been very much centered around him, not by his, uh, not by himself. It's just the way it was. He was almost probably too big for the team. Now it's very much spread across. Son is taking on the mantle, something fierce. James Madison has been a breath of fresh air and he's flying and continuing his form from last year. Uh, the Basuma is back on, the, is back a, a bit like Rudiger with Chelsea. He was on the scrap heap and now he's like arguably a player who a lot of teams would want. So it's just a very much a good feel-good factor across the board. The manager's obviously starting to vibe, but without a doubt, I think there's a, a, a slight sense of freedom within the team and how they're playing, which is obviously down to him, but also the fact that it is very much a team now. And the difference, considering we were all worried about, Jesus, where are they going to pick up the black from the goal? Um, they've only conceded eight in the nine games, have scored 20, and uh, yeah, two points clear of the rest. It's, it's a nice combination, I think, of everything for me, but ultimately, I think... It, it stems from, from the gaffer down. Yeah, I'm looking at their team, Neil. Um, Pedro Poirot's there, Romero, Heiberg, Sars in the midfield, I suppose. Madison has been brought in, in, in but Richarlison, Kulicheski, Sons up front. It's, it's not like there's loads of big changes in this team, but there is one and, and it seems to be attitude. Yeah, 100%. And you know what it is, Roy? I lo- just something you really love about this story. Do you ever look at kind of when you see a team, especially under the likes of a Conte, and they're being, they're being restricted, really, really heavily restricted in the way they play? Now, that formation you're saying tonight, Roy, was like a 4-2-3-1, right? But they used to kind of play like that with, um, with, with Conte. The difference was nine of them were in their own half. There was the two banks of four and one of one. And Harry Kane ended up playing more centre mid than he did centre forward. And he really choked the life out of him. And there's Romero, a guy that he was making mistakes. He was being exposed because people were getting at him. He just didn't look comfortable. And there tonight, he didn't have to spend 75% of the game defending because Spurs were the ones attacking Fulham. Fulham were the ones dropping off. And all of a sudden, Romero, Van de Ven and these guys look really, really good and calm on the ball. But it's brilliant to see a manager come in 
without that many changes, because you say there, your Hoiberg, your Kulisevsky, Richarlison, Son, are all previous managers' players, but yet, under different instructions, they just look fantastic. They're attacking, they're enjoying it. You hear the noise of the sports supporters now. You didn't hear a whole lot of that last year. Um, but definitely Ange has come in and he's given them this belief. He's released them from the shackles. But I tell you one thing, they're a very good size. Lovely little intricate passing in the box tonight when they were breaking in. And because you don't have Kane now as a kind of a, you know, a target man, therefore everyone is kind of joining in. Um, but the other thing I, I was going to bring up was Son moving as a centre forward now. It's like the Henri one when he come off the wing and started playing more up front. Like, what a change. And he's banging in goals. He looks so dangerous. He's making lovely, clever runs. And obviously, he's really, really quick. It's a complete contrast to the way the Spurs play, but there's not many managers that can convert a guy like that. So what he's done is essentially, Richarlison, who would normally be your striker, he's pushed him out wide now because the guy couldn't finish his dinner. And instead, you bring in Son, who's really, really nifty in the box. You move Richarlison, who actually was good off the, when I say off the ball, providing and crossing and linking he was tonight. But you don't feel that Richarlison's going to get you goals. So he's after inverting the two of them and it's a masterstroke, in my opinion. I think it's come off brilliantly for him. Yeah, it's you're looking at him, you're thinking, right? You've got Anfos Kaglu comes in, changes the the whole look of the club, as in the attitude on what way they will play. Uh, people who you didn't feel that were working are now working. And Dave, I I, I want to challenge, I suppose. Eric Ten Hag, when you look at Eric Ten Hag and you look at Postacoglu, when they've come into the team, yeah, this is Postacoglu's first season. Ten Hag went in and he had some success last season. But what's the difference there between the two managers? I think a, little, a, a kind of half allusion to that. He definitely seems to have the gift of the gap. When he talks, you tend to listen. And he's very much a man of the people, the way he talks. And even when he was waxing lyrical a bit about Liverpool before the Liverpool game, where he's a fan and his dad was obsessed about, you know, and, you know, laughing at the, the money and everything else. I say he very, I say he seems to be a master of how to tap into people. And, you know, I think, you know, he seems to have that kind of bit of magic dust at the moment where I say he's like a Pied Piper. I'd say they're willing to do whatever he says because whatever he, because the results have backed it up. So whatever you start with, if you can get the results at the start, all of a sudden, whether they fancy him or not, they start to believe in him. So it's a nice little kind of magic momentum going on at the minute. But without a doubt, he definitely seems to have the gift of the gap. I think with Ten Hag, unfortunately, he had some disciplinary issues and some obviously would have agreed with him, some wouldn't have. And the clicks never got got rid of. But while you look at the sports team, they seem very much a united front, seem very much a, a, a pure unit because obviously that's what he's manifested. Um, and obviously he hasn't had those problems or if he does we don't know about why that you know they're still getting leaks here there and everywhere so I, I think that's the ultimate thing he seems to have gone in said the right things from the start they've obviously had the results to back it up and now it's just a nice feel good factor momentum but he definitely seems to have the gift without a shadow of a doubt while Ten Hag maybe being Dutch they're very direct in how they speak generally when you, if you know anyone from Holland and maybe he's a bit too direct. And like I said, with some of the disparate issues, yes, what he's probably saying is similar to Postacoglu, but it's not coming off the right way where the lads want to get up on, when want to get on the train with him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a man motivator definitely knows his mm. football, but if you have 
that skill of being able to communicate with every different type mm. of personality, you're, you're on a winner. So we want them as Ireland managers. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> yeah, damn right, right. Okay. <laughs> I tell you though, Roy, looking at the formation they played tonight, right, you could line up the two defenders, Heiberg and Saar, that's your, you know, Amrabat and uh, Casemiro, mm. and then your mm. three that are in in front of them, they have Kulisevsky, Madison, Richardson. You have Bruno, you have Anthony and Rashford in behind Highland. Like, I mean, they do set up very, very similarly. The difference is when your guys in the back line or when your guys in the two holding midfielders get the ball with Spurs tonight, they weren't going for 70-yard balls to release Richardson and Kulisevsky. They were building it up through Madison. Mm. They were using Madison in the 10 and playing through him. Everything went through him. And he had to kind of... You know, like surely Fernandez could play that role quite freely if he was given the license to do so. Like that's the way you're meant to play football. And then they're using a song with a little intricate pass. And you know, it's just the way the manager puts his imprint on the team, the freedom that he gives them to play. But the instruction he's obviously given them is more five, ten yard passes rather than sixty, seventy yard passes. So yeah, it is a different ethos in the way he plays. Yeah, hundred percent. But I have to say, I enjoyed that game tonight watching Spurs. And I don't think I said that once last year. Maybe the last three years watching sports, there's nothing enjoyable about them. Um, and they don't have massive names in their side. Son is probably their biggest name now, but you look at Kulisevsky, Madison, Richardson. I wouldn't be a fan of Richardson, but the work he put in tonight was second, absolute second to none. It was fantastic. Um, and they were battering Fulham and Fulham sat deep. Like, what a change in fortunes when you used to see sports sit deep and try to soak it up. I'd say the fans just think they're in cloud cuckoo land at the minute. I think so. I don't think anyone thought after nine games that Tottenham Hotspur would be two points clear uh, at the top of the table. It just, it doesn't make sense. I think it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, except for, except for Ange. Except for Ange, of course, yeah. Um, and it's good. You want good personalities in the league um, and yeah. you want uh, someone to mix it up a little bit and it's great that they're there. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur, Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Aston Villa, Newcastle and Brighton, the top seven. It's great to just have that little bit of a change. And, and there's a challenge there for, you know, some of the bigger clubs like Chelsea and Manchester United. You're not just going to walk in. Um, interesting, I just see in there tonight that Ajax have sacked their manager. I went to have a look at the table there the other day, <laughs> yesterday, and I, I said, God, Ajax got beaten 4-3 because I think they were talking about Troy Parrott was playing in uh, for Excelsior over there. And I just yeah, had a look yeah. at the game. I said, oh, they were beaten 4-3. And I, I went, I wonder who's winning the league. And PSV are top. Ajax are second bottom. I couldn't believe. Second bottom, yeah. Second yeah. bottom with five points After or something. There like was, um, I think there was trouble and they tried to get onto the pitch and Stephen Bergwijn had to go over to them and yeah, there was a bit of drama as well. So I'm not surprised I heard he was sacked today. And guess who they're playing away at the weekend? Yes, oh, you're a joke. God, God, playing Brighton and Thursday, yeah. Brighton in the Europa. That's yeah. right, yeah. Oh, that's sorry, right. Brighton in the Europa, but they PSV on Sunday, so I'd say it's like, yeah, let's let's get rid of them now before uh, before it really kicks off. Yeah. yeah, they've lost their last four lads, so yeah, it's, it's completely imploded. Unbelievable. Um, okay, well, let's talk about uh, the relegation zone. Seems that Ajax are sitting down there. Imagine they got relegated. <laughs> Okay, uh, Sheffield, Sheffield United, Bournemouth, Burnley, and Luton. The, the bottom three, Luton, are, are, there's something about Luton that you could see them sneak a, a win yeah. here or sneak a draw here, gather a few points. But for the likes of Burnley, I know it's only they've only got one more point than Burnley. But Sheffield yeah. United, Bournemouth, and Burnley, they just don't look like at the moment that 
there's something there to, you know, kick them on with a, a win or two over the next five or six games. Dave, what do you, what way do you see the teams down the bottom? Everton are on seven points. Yeah. They're not exactly setting the world on fire either. No, like I would say from Everton down, that's probably going to be the likely scenario of the three. And even still, I still think Everton are just half a step above the rest. Mm. So for me, if I was at a real push, I'd say it's going to be three out of that four. I think Everton will just about do enough. But from Forest up, I think everyone's, not that they're safe, but I think they've more than enough and I can't see the others catching them. Look, I think the very obvious thing to, to kick it off, Roy, is goals. Um, they've obviously conceded the most, but Bournemouth have only got six and nine. Sheffield United have seven. And uh, Burnley only have seven. They're not really there. If you look at their strikers, I'm sorry, I've no interest in Ollie McBurney. You can talk about him running himself <laughs> into the ground. Got a great goal the other night, Dave. He's on me. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, who cares? He'll probably get another three or four. He'll probably get three or I'm four. A, so what? I've only met him. There's only a penalty. You know? <laughs> the only way he'll score. <laughs> but that's it. He'll get three or four more and that'll be the height of it. Burnley are, are, are the exact same. They're completely lacking up, up top. And and Bournemouth are hanging their hat and the likes of Dominic Solanke. I know he's got a couple, but could you really, like, yeah, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see where it's coming from. But unfortunately for these teams, um, yeah, they just don't seem to have enough. And from Forest upward, they just seem too strong. So no matter what kind of momentum they get, I just I don't think it's going to be enough regardless. Luton have a bit of a have a bit of something about them, and they still are riding high, and they're probably going to give it everything till the very end, and that might be just enough to to hit the precious seventeenth. But um, yeah, for me, Roy, like I said, just to finish off, I think it's that far, and Everton might just be a half a step ahead. Yeah, Neil. Gary O'Neill must be breaking his bollocks laughing at Bournemouth at the moment. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the letting go, the sacking, whatever way you want to put it, didn't make sense at the time. They've brought in a Spanish manager who wasn't setting the world alight in Spain. It's just, this is the real sort of get a, a foreign manager in just for the sake yeah. of it. And, uh, you know, it's exploded in their face. Yeah, well, you look at for every good one like the Zerbi that comes in, there's one that comes in and just doesn't hit the ground running or they don't know the Premier League well enough. But um, Gary O'Neill was doing a solid job there. And yeah, look, I, I don't have a sympathy. It feels like a Watford scenario, doesn't it, when they used to just keep chopping and changing and you were like, Jesus, what's going on next? Um, I think all of them down at the bottom now are in trouble. The, the in, more interesting one for me is Burnley because company's in there and he's well-respected. They won the championship last season. They play beautiful football. They still play lovely football. But there's that risk of leaving yourself open and they're getting absolutely hammered, punished for every mistake that they make at this level. And they can't sustain it. And as Dave was saying there, just by the grace of God for the likes of Everton, that there's teams below them that are worse. And they're probably going to be safe. But then bottom three in particular, really, really poor. Like when you've conceded 17 games, or sorry, 17 goals, in nine games, you're doing something wrong. When you've one point or three points after 10, 11, or nine or 10 games, you're in dire, dire straits. Now, they're not a million miles away. Don't be all doom and gloom on them. Like, I was looking at the table there now. Say Brentford. Like, they're what I would call a, a kind of a stalwart team who you expect to survive comfortable enough. But they're still only on 10 points. So you need to be getting up around the eight, nine, 10 points at this point. But 
they're leaving themselves, the Sheffield United in particular leaving themselves such um, a, a race to make up and I don't think that they can do it. Bournemouth, as they said, I wouldn't be uh, hanging my hat on Dominic Solanke. I mean, you'd, you'd need something up there with him. And Burnley, I think, are just running out of ideas now because they're trying to play football and they've gotten slapped. So we could be looking at these three sitting in the relegation zone from now to Christmas, if not beyond, uh, unless something changes. And you know yourself, the first thing that's going to change will be a manager. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, maybe Gary O'Neill will go back after a couple of months, will he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, double the money, maybe. Um, okay, yeah. Dave, with nine games yeah. gone, uh, who has stood out for you? Who has been the best signing in the Premier League so far this season? Yeah, it's a good one. I think let's let's look at the league table straight away, and I can see spores. I suppose you have to kind of tip your hat to Madison. I think he's been fantastic, and as Neil said, he's seen the game more so than I did today. Everything went through him, and you can see the influence he's had, and he's continued his form that he had pre World Cup, where he was obviously trying to get into the squad. And in fairness, you're starting to see it now, so you'd have to give him a tip. You'd look at Arsenal. I think Rice has done very well. He seems to be a lot more attacking. At Arsenal, without a shadow of a doubt, obviously Zabba's lie is getting a lot of interest as well. Seems like Liverpool have done it again, where they kind of got the jump on everyone else. Um, so for me, I would probably, out of them all, I'd probably have to give Madison the nod at the moment. Not just because Spurs are top, but it's just, I wasn't sure what type of player he was going to be. Is he not a flash Harry, but you know, he gives that impression he's a bit of a jack the lad. But he, in fairness to him, he's shown up week in, week out now at Spurs. And I have to give him credit because he could have easily been another one of those that I've got my contract, I've got me move. And then he relaxes. In fairness, he stepped up. And that then I'd have to give him the nod for now. Okay. Neil, your thoughts? Yeah, from a Liverpool perspective, Zabozloy just looks class. Every time you watch him, the way he presses, the way he runs, like his energy levels are absolutely off the scale. I still think there's probably more to come from him. Uh, Madison, I'll echo Dave on that one. I think Madison's very fortunate insofar as he's made the right move to the right club with the right manager. And the manager absolutely believes in him. And you can see his tail is up. He, I can't remember Madison at Leicester kind of going by two or three players at once in many games, but even there tonight, there was a couple of times he was leaving fellas for dead, playing some lovely balls through. He's really kind of found his call, and I think, and he could have a really, really good season. Um, kind of as an outside bet, I like Diaby off Aston Villa. He's quick. I think he's going to get goals. And if I'm going for a real outsider here, I'm looking Brighton have Adingra and Belebe. And I guarantee you, one of them two is going to be a hundred million in about six months' time. So, <laughs> yeah, watch, yeah, when Chelsea is Yeah, Chelsea be licking their lips when they go and sign a Dingra for a hundred yeah. million. So, and uh, I suppose as you lip- mentioned, Chelsea uh, Palmer looked decent at the weekend. Now, don't get me wrong, Chelsea are slowly but surely getting a bit of momentum. So, it'll be interesting to see how he progresses over the next month or two yeah, because definitely. he's getting some regular football. But he looked decent on Saturday, so I'm not going to say yes him. But maybe he could be one to watch because he, he looked tidy in fairness. You just took the words out. That was me. That was me. Question to you next, Dave. I was gonna. I was gonna jump oh, on you with Palmer. <laughs> but let's put because he was he was playing in that kind of forward false nine, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Role. It's going to be interesting to see how Chelsea evolve over this season, Dave, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. Like obviously they're they seven out of nine in the last three matches, and to be honest, they left two points out on the pitch on Saturday without a shadow of a doubt. Obviously, he's getting his time now. He's starting to he still probably hasn't got a settled eleven because there's still players coming back in and this that and the other. 
but whatever he's doing, it's slowly but surely starting to happen. And a lot of players are playing very well. And even Mudrick is, is starting to show some promise. So across the board, he seems to be tapping into his previous players and obviously players that come in. So I'm not saying they're going to be back up in Champions League spots anytime soon, but they, they definitely look like they could be creeping their way back into the rest of the pack and challenging for European spots. So it was very, very interesting to see because he's sticking with the likes of Gallagher, who I thought was just going to eventually be drifted away. But he's doing quite well. Obviously, Casado's back in now. So let's see if he can really um, live up to the price tag. Um, but there's just the, 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 the elements are starting to show. Like So, uh, yeah. And then, obviously, with Palmer looking as good as he did at the weekend, it'll be very interesting to see how, how they develop over the next few weeks. Because I think at the start, you were thinking to yourself, Jesus, like, poor old even Pochettino's reputation going to be ruined. But right now, um, yeah, it looks like he, whatever he's doing is working. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, listen, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Neil and Dave, thanks very much. Thanks very much for you for listening. If you want to send any questions in, they'll be kick off 96.4 at gmail.com. Um, throw us at and give us something to discuss. And Especially keepers. Keepers, come <laughs> if you have any keeper stats out Goal. there throw them at us goalkeeper <laughs> union come, like, come on stick up here for your buddy um, we'll talk to you next week